Hi, the Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. No matter if the prize is high in the radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and frickin' agitate on issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activists and spoken word poet Max Harpus and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is practiced in the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the August 22nd, 2018 live broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio and we are two days into the National Prison Strike. Our lead story today will, of course, be the organized prison strike. We'll share information, provide a narrative, and keep you up to date on what's happening to the best of our awareness. We're also going to make an open invitation for a necessary public debate. Actually, we've already got it filled, and I'll explain it later tonight. On and near this day in history, on August 20th, 1862, in Mitchellville, South Carolina, Major General Ormsby told a Union settlement named after him of formerly enslaved Africans that they should have two names, a first and a last. He told them to use their old master's name, which quickly started a trend, and that is how African Americans came to have the last name of their old slavers. 
I'll provide the link to show you all about that. Also, on August 20th, 1619, the first enslaved Africans were brought by the Dutch to the American colony of Jamestown. This began a slave trade that would last centuries and affect hundreds of millions of lives up until this day right here, right now. Finally, on August 21st, 1791, in Southampton County, Virginia, Nat Turner staged his organized rebellion, also known as the Southampton Insurrection. Finally, in direct action news, the Right to Vote campaign needs your support. It's a nationwide campaign being initiated by people currently confined in the United States. And this campaign grew out of the August 21st national prison strike demands, specifically point number 10, the voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pretrial detainees, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is Lucy Stanton, or Lucy Stanton Sessions, 1831-1910. Educator and abolitionist Lucy Stanton Sessions is believed to be the first African-American woman to graduate from college, completing a ladies' literary course from Oberlin College in 1850. A rider of the 21st century Underground Railroad today is Arnie Cosby, Jr., who was in jail facing a charge for facilitating a murder he did not commit. After two years, Cosby was released thanks to the efforts of Scott Davis, candidate for State House Seat District 54 in Nashville. As always, we've got little time and a lot to cover, so be sure to follow the information we provide on both our Facebook page and our community page at New Abolitionist Radio. You can support our efforts by joining us as a member at community.blacktalkradionetwork.com. And I'm not joking when I say we need your help and support. We really do. This is how we keep things going. You'll find this link, the links for today's program on our abolitionist planning page, which is available to BTR community members. If you have a question or comment, you can call in at 704-802-5050. Five, six, and you can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. Normally, I would say, what's up, Brother Scotty? I'm here. From what I understand. Are I'm you here. there? What's up, Brother I'm Scotty? Here. There I'm, you go. I'm back. It, it, it was um, something I could handle real quick. Um, but greetings uh, to you, Max, and greetings to the abolitionists out there. And if you're not an abolitionist, we hope that you become one by the end of this program. Uh, pretty interesting history that you shared. Um, I just assumed, like many people assumed, because we were told that how African Americans got their name. Um, now, I always have known and acknowledged that every African wasn't enslaved. The vast majority of them were, but there was a pretty sizable uh, free black community in, in the colonies and um, later in the United States. And, you know, they are the ones who I would credit most with the, of course, they had help, but I would uh, credit most with the Underground Railroad helping enslaved Africans get free. And, of course, we know many of them volunteered for what you have called the uh, biggest slave rebellion on this continent and that would be the American Civil War but that history we assume that 
how all African Americans got their last name was that they took the names of the people who were formerly enslaving them. And that bit of that article that you shared on social media shows that not to be the case all the time. They had a choice and it was recommended to them. Now I would be interested in finding out, which we may never find out, what was that union officer's thinking when he suggested to them that they take on those names of the people who had formerly enslaved them. Um, because I can think in terms of documentation and reparations that, you know, it will make it easier for future descendants to track down the descendants of those people who, who enslaved them. But again, you know, it's not just the individual enslaver that profited the entire nation profited from uh, slave labor. And so, yeah, but that's some pretty interesting history, Max, that you dug up. You always come up with these interesting historical uh, uh, facts uh, for New Abolitionist Radio. Thank you. You're welcome, Scotty. I try my best. And this one was particularly interesting because it was really a question that I'd never heard anybody really ask, like, how did we start having these last names? And uh, I have this book that was given to me as a gift, which includes uh, copies of the headline newspapers verbatim from the 1600s all the way up to the 1900s. And it's from the Black Chronicle newspaper, which actually was in existence at the time. And I wouldn't mind reading uh, what the article, it's not that long, says in its entirety for those who can't actually view it uh, right now. Is that all right with you, Scotty? I'll yes, take that yes. yes, sir. Indeed. Uh, this comes from the Black Chronicle newspaper. It's from August of 1862, verbatim. Slaves permitted to take last names. That's the title. Mitchellville, South Carolina, August 20. Slaves in occupied towns are being permitted to take last names. Before the Federal Army took control of territory near Hilton Head, South Carolina, Blacks there were flogged for using their owner's last name or even for making up their own. But Major General Ormsby M. Mitchell's announcement at his Union Army camp that leads at heads of the 70 black families in Mitchellville, the settlement named after him, were entitled to two names, has begun a new trend. He advised them to take the name of their former master. The suggestion, however, has caused controversy among both former slaves and former masters. Quote, I used to be proud of my name, says Carolina R. Revenal of the Seneca Plantation in South Carolina, but I have ceased to be so since the two meanest Negroes on the place have taken it. Not all slaves are eager to take their master's name either. A Negro contraband in Tennessee gave his full name as Full Name Dick and was told that everyone must have two names. When asked if he wanted his master's name, he replied, No, sir, I don't. I've had enough of old master. Although local whites are beginning to accept the blacks' use of surnames, they are still reluctant to call them Mr. or Miss. And that is it in its entirety. Now, think about the subtlety of what they were doing there by preventing these Africans from adopting last names or these descendants of Africans or African-Americans, whatever you want to call them, victims of slavery. 
because two, you know, you give a dog one name. You don't give a dog a last name. You know what I'm saying? You give your cat, you call your cat Mittens, or, or and you don't give the cat a last name. So that's part of that dehuman, dehumanization process. Oh, you think you're going to have two names? Like, good white folks, don't you know? No, we're not having it. Tom or Harriet or Frederick. No, there'll be no last names for you. That's what I got from why they will be prohibited from having a last name by those people. Yeah, it's an amazing piece of history, Scotty. And we were blessed. Well, I was blessed to be able to find it out and doubly blessed to be able to share it with people who probably like me had never even realized. Uh, one of the other things that I have sent out as a copy out of that uh, book that I have by the Black Chronicle is another article from August of 1862 where they talk about how slaves are resisting. And Lord, if it don't describe us here today and how we're doing things. So in today's headlines come from 1862 and it talks about you know controlling the narrative there and how slavers were doing exactly that. Uh, some of the things that they stayed in there, for instance, slaves with false images, uh, slaves with illnesses, eye servants. And this is a one that you might want to hear, eye servants, because slaves must always be watched. Annoyed plantation owners call them eye servants and employ hated white overseers to keep them working. When, as sometimes happened, a slave is made an overseer, he is often sympathetic to his brothers and sisters. One black overseer has said, I learned to handle the whip with precision, throwing the lash within a hair of the back. If the master is watching, they squirm and screech as if in agony, although not one of them has, in fact, been grazed. Wow. So they all wasn't Stevens from Django, huh? Right. Right. They were doing what they can to protect their people. Uh, it's just so heroic, some of the things that you, you see when you read firsthand information. And I, I think that's very important. Reading, as I've often heard, is more important than watching TV. Reading is more important than watching movies because we grab hold of these false narratives as they are absolutes and, and what have you. And we really don't have any knowledge of what was actually going on, even though it's been written about, because we don't read. So, again, yes. you know, just how important it is, Max, I think uh, you adopting this segment into the program where you're bringing up these historical facts. Knowledge makes a man unfit to be a slave. <laughs> you know, Frederick That's Douglass. You know, I put a link in the uh, chat room there. Scotty is a big ass, sorry, big long link uh, that includes the Facebook thing. I'm, I'm sorry. If you can open it, do so. And if not, I'll get you a cleaner link. But what I want to do today is listen to something that we, you've already heard as well as many of our listeners, and that's the Al Jazeera interview uh, with three of our comrades or, or several of our comrades at least. And I would like to play it from the 11 minute mark to the 20 minute mark so nine minutes of this thing okay and if you feel the if you feel the need at any time to stop it from playing so you could say something please do so because it deserves to be discussed okay but I, I i'll reserve my comments till after it plays i'll just take notes but i would like to extend that offer 
uh, to comment after the video to our listeners as Max has given out the number. Just try to be brief with, with your comments as we know time is always limited. But before we do this, Max, I would like to express something that I expressed on social media. You mentioned Al Jazeera. This is an internationally known news outlet. And I posted just about an hour, maybe an hour and a half ago that when I reached out to you, I found you on Facebook. I had done read the 13th Amendment and found that exception clause. And I was like, oh, my God. Who else is talking about this? Who is anybody? I've never heard anybody bring this issue up. So I, I, uh, you know, put out a call. Um, I had known that you were an activist and whatnot. So I reached out to you and I was like, man, so I'm thinking about this program called New Abolitionist Radio. And the mission is to raise awareness about what the 13th Amendment actually says and the fact that with that exception clause that we cannot properly say, uh, correctly say that the United States abolished slavery with the 13th Amendment after the conclusion of the American Civil War. And our whole mission starting out was simply to raise awareness and get this truth out there. Now that I'm mentioning Al Jazeera um, on my program, BTR News, yesterday I mentioned USA Today put out an article, although they didn't mention the 13th, so I'll leave them out. But I forget the other publisher who published an article mentioning the 13th Amendment in prison slavery in the same article. So, I, I again, I want to say thank you to all of those who have been with us on this journey because we can honestly say in, in terms of raising awareness about the 13th Amendment in prison slavery, mission accomplished. Now, of course, the ultimate goal is to actually end slavery. Uh, we believe key to that is removing the exception clause from the 13th Amendment and on a, uh, a lesser level from the state constitutions, which Colorado has tried once, came close, but failed, but are going to try again. And so I, I just want to thank you, Max, for saying yes. I want to say thank you to all the different hosts we've had over the years, co-hosts who have helped us, but also all the listeners who helped us spread this message and raise awareness. Mission accomplished. Indeed, Scotty. I feel the same way, and thank you. Mission accomplished. Thank you, everyone who supported. Because, like you said, the main goal was to raise awareness, and that meant that people had to start coming to conclusions, and we had to help them to, to get to those conclusions. Yeah. And on more than one occasion, people have come and testified about how it changed their life. And it should, because once you change your idea about what you're dealing with, everything's going to change. And if it doesn't, you're really just lending lip service because you haven't thought about it, haven't considered it. But many have. And we're... Uh, I compare us a lot to the modern, I mean, to the original abolitionist movement, which was only 5% of the nation. And that was also one of our goals, because we figured, how many people do we need to reach? So we did some research and found out the abolitionist movement only had 5% uh, of the nation who were proclaimed abolitionists. The rest were anti-slavery or pro-slavery. So we were like, okay, we just need to get 5% of the population here in the United States. And that's several, quite a few million. And with conversations like Al Jazeera is doing, uh, and 13, the film, and all the other different media coming out that we have showcased here on New Abolitionist Radio, I think we've surpassed that. People are very much aware, to a very large degree, they're left now with a choice to make. 
I would agree. So you wanted me to start at the 11-minute mark and play yes, it up. 11 to 20, so we'll do nine minutes out of it. It's like 36 minutes, so we can't play it all, but we'll play that nine minutes. Okay. So, Romerlin, I can see you nodding your head there. I, I want to note for our international audience, Azadeh there in that video comment is talking about immigration detention center, but it shows really how broad this issue is because it's across jails, prisons, immigration detention centers, um, and other places. So that idea of this being modern-day slavery, is that something that you can understand why people are saying? Oh, it is, because failure to program results in you losing time. It may result in you losing pri privileges. It will result in you um, not earning any day-for-day -day, uh, milestone credits. So working in the prison is, is a voluntary thing, but then it's not voluntary because you're punished if you don't work. But again, you don't receive the uh, sufficient amount of pay for that work. The labor that you put in um, is nowhere near equal. And just because there's a loophole in the United States Constitution um, doesn't mean that people should be treated inhumanely without dignity and respect. And, um, and, and that's what the 13th Amendment does. Crystal, I can see you just I, about I to jump in like here. Let me just say the, add, the 13th um, Amendment abolished slavery, except if you are in except, prison. So correct. slavery still exists in the United States if you're a prisoner. Crystal, go yes. ahead. Yes, absolutely. Slavery still is very much alive and well in this, in this country today. Uh, legitimized by the 13th Amendment, as uh, several people have touched on already. But I just want to back up for a moment and and and, and note that um, in some states, such as South Carolina, majority of the uh, people incarcerated there are literally being warehoused, and I mean they're not working. So um, they there there are other ways that people have decided to engage in the strike, such as sit-ins boycotts, not spending any money during for the next 20 days. All of this is designed to send a message to the system. And so, in fact, um, yes, there are many prisoners in this country who are working under slave-like conditions, um, and, and we know this clearly as, as slavery. Uh, but I did just want to mention for the record that there are a number of, of, of people in this, in this country, prisoners who are incarcerated in detention centers, immigration detention centers, um, um, and, and other locations that actually do not have a job. They are literally being warehoused, but they will be participating um, in the strike as well. Sure. I, I have to sh play this for our audience. This comes from the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. This is Daryl Aitkins. He sums up what it is like to work as a prisoner and the wages you get. Have a listen to Daryl. I started out as a line server, serving food, breakfast and dinner. Then I became a dishwasher and just all maintenance of the kitchen. They didn't pay much, they paid 13 cents an hour. Basically I worked, at, I made $20 a month and they took 55% of that out for restitution. So joining us on the line from Staten Prison in Alabama, we have Swift Justice. He is a co-founder of Unheard Voices. That's a non-profit advocating prison reform. He's a key organizer of this strike, talking to us from inside on his phone. Swift Justice, how's the strike going so far?
Well, hopefully it's going uh, pretty good now. Where I'm at, uh, we don't require these guys to actually do any work stoppage or anything like that. Uh, but what we're focusing on is in the major institutions such as Holman and West Jefferson and St. Clair and even Saltwater is where we're hoping that everything is going. Uh, as far as being able to reach out to the guys over there, it's been really silent today. Uh, we're assuming that they have them on lockdown at the camps at this time. So what actually happens when prisoners go on strike? Well, basically what we're doing is we are doing a peaceful protest, uh, and all we require is that these uh, comrades not to report to their jobs, uh, with their institutional jobs, such as the brother on the recording was talking about it in the kitchens, uh, any ACI, or what we call industrial jobs that uh, Alabama uses. Um, uh, and... We sit down, and, and, and what we have request, requested now to is also to boycott these stores and the canteens as well as any um, packages from different companies such as Union Supply and so on. Uh, we are asking also that, uh, that, we buy, that inmates boycott any spending of any visitation food that is served on the visitation yards that also goes back to the state of Alabama. You know, Swift Justice, uh, for our audience that isn't aware, uh, I want to share this tweet we got from someone, August 21, who says, remember, when you talk about the prison strike, talk about what prisoners are striking for. And they included a list of demands among them. At the very top of the list is improving uh, conditions of prisons. And the second is an immediate end to prison slavery. The list goes on. There's a, a, about nine, uh, ten things on that list. What is number one for you? Why are you striking? Well, the number one thing for me, and I think it very important, that every comrade that is boycotting or striking, always remember our main goal is always to abolish the 13th Amendment of the federal mm -hmm. Constitution and our state constitution as well here in Alabama. It would be in Section 1, Article 32 of the Alabama 1901 Constitution. That gives a loophole for the 13th Amendment to uh, give the state leeway to own slaves. Um, and every other, every other thing that we are demanding in our demands, such as in Alabama, one, for instance, uh, changes dealing with the life without parole uh, criteria and other issues such as bringing in incentive good time for inmates to actually have control over their own fate and change and their release date um, and the parole uh, guidelines such as the parole's new guidelines as far as when an inmate is eligible in Alabama to uh, return back to society on parole. Uh, a lot of our demands, they, as far as what's broke down, pretty much mirror each other. I know in South Carolina, um, the brothers over there are asking for voting rights, mm. which is something that we here in Alabama have somewhat uh, one uh, foot in the door in doing so uh, it, at this time, Alabama inmates that have non-moral interpretive crimes are allowed to vote inside the institutions or inside the jails, uh, and once they return inside the society without receiving a pardon from the state. But right. I think it's important that we remember that our main focus and goal is to uh, ask uh, for the removal and the abolishment of the 13th Amendment. Okay. So thank you, Swift, for, for mentioning um, prison abolition, because that should be our primary goal, is to abolish prisons. And 
as, as you said to that list, um, there's so many demands, all 10 of them are very important. Um, for me, I would definitely want to, to say that number one, just improving the conditions, but we need to abolish prisons. And since we still have prisons that exist in our society today, we need to have those prisons um, with uh, conditions that support the, the health, wholeness, and wellness of people, and that's access to programming, good mental health, good medical care, dental care, and access to higher education. But another really important point on the list of demands is around sentencing reforms. In the state of California, there's over 120 sentencing reforms on the books that oftentimes lead people to getting these really high sentences of, of 60, 80, 100 years to life. Um, and that's death by incarceration. And thank you again for mentioning the life without the possibility of parole. Uh, the California Coalition for Women Prisoners held a drop LWAP um, rally at the steps of the Capitol in Sacramento, California, asking Governor Brown to commute all 5,000 uh, sentences to life with a possibility. Um, they've been very good here in California with commuting sentences, but they could do better. But then I just want to bring women into the conversation because incarcerated women are different than incarcerated men. And if folks are going to, to, to exist in these cages, we need to start thinking about uh, ways that gender play a part in that. And for trans and non-gender conforming people, they're not. Max. Um, Max, you might have yourself muted. Let me unmute you, Max. Max, yes, that was the, that was the case. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, I was taking notes, um, but I did ask for calls, and we have a caller. Um, Max, do you want to take the caller before uh, you? Yeah, give... let's go ahead and hear some other opinions. Okay, a uh, caller from. 336 area code. Thank you for calling in the new abolitionist radio. Uh, give us your name or pseudonym and go ahead with your question or comment. 334. Hey guys, what's going on, man? Uh, Welcome home, brother. Welcome home. Man, how y'all doing? Scotty had me confused. There were 336. I was like, did I get my number changed? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. 334. Oh, okay. I, I don't have my glasses on, brother. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, man. It's all right. But how y'all doing? We're doing good, man. And we were inspired by you, specifically by you, and the rhetoric you just used on Al Jazeera. Yes, sir. Uh, I know that you were a little bit concerned because you said we want to abolish the 13th and you meant to say to remove the exception clause, but that's no biggie, dude, because your no, whole no, it's no biggie. Was the only logical thing happening at that point. Right. Well, listen, man, I, I was I was literally I was literally bashing my own head against the wall and telling my crew, I said, you know what? I just listened to what I said, man, and I'm one of the main ones that used to sit there, Max, and say, we don't want to abolish the 13th, we want to abolish the exception clause, and here it is, I'm over here just coming all over my work. So I was like, really, man, Max, my mentor was <laughs> Slaughter me for it. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are very proud of you. I believe Scotty and everyone else in the abolitionist movement is very proud of you. It takes a certain sense of confidence and bravery to be able to stand out and say it loud and clear. This is slavery. We're trying to end slavery. That's our number one thing. As you can, as you heard yourself, 
right after you said that, your whole conversation was hijacked, and I don't understand why it was hijacked. Yeah, and Max. Was, and, yes. Yes, that's one. I I was taking notes, and there's four points that I want to bring up. Okay, and Swift Justice is, is two of those points, highlighting two of those points. The first point is I don't know the young lady's name that was just speaking. Um, but she was speaking before they brought in Swift. And I, she said that work is voluntary, but then it's not voluntary. So this speaks to, and this is constructive criticism. This isn't me bashing anyone, but message, message, message. You have to be consistent, okay? So, so as we know that if you are assigned a job and you decide you don't want to go, that then you will be punished, usually with solitary confinement or loss of other privileges. Um, the other point I wanted to mention, South Carolina prisons. Um, we heard Crystal mention the South Carolina prisons. I read from from uh, Swift Justice and his people's organization on Twitter, it was put out that South Carolina prisons are on lockdown right now as a result of peaceful strikes. Why? You have to ask yourself, why would you lock down peaceful people for expressing themselves in, in a nonviolent manner? Why? I believe, and, and perhaps Swift can speak to this, I believe is to cause division among the prisoners, to get some prisoners angry at the other. I got to stay in my cell because you want to protest. You know what I'm saying? So that, to me, is like a division tactic, not just punitive, a punitive attack on these prisoners, but also to to uh, cultivate divisions and, and more and, and violence, perhaps. Swift Justice was absolutely right to bring up the voting rights. We'll cover this later. I made a call to the county jail, and I'll talk to them about are you uh, facilitating the voting of eligible voters who are in uh, pre-trial detention who haven't been convicted of anything. Now, I know the goal is to have all U.S. citizens, regardless if they're in a prison, jail, or on the street, that should be able to vote. I know that's the goal, but I'm focusing on right now North Carolina here locally that, you know, in our state, if you're a felon, you can vote as long as you're, once you've completed your probation, it's automatic restoration, no red tape or nothing. So, but I wanted to know how many people are, I, I, the question is, how many people who are eligible to vote but find themselves in, in pretrial detention because they can't afford bail, how many of those voters are being disenfranchised by that practice? And I recorded the call because it's legal to do here in North Carolina, and we'll play that later. And the last thing that I wanted to bring up, and I mentioned this in Al Jazeera's uh, uh, chat room on YouTube when she came in and said prison abolition. I said, did she just just misquote Swift Justice? Because he didn't say anything about prison abolition. He talked about abolishing slavery as authorized by the 13th Amendment. So where did this prison abolition come in? So again, message, message, message. We have to be on the same page with our language and in communicating to the public 
the, our, our number one priority with Swift Justice said. Now, y'all didn't get to hear it, but after she responded, uh, he came back in, and I don't know, Swift, if you was trying to correct her or if you had the same I, cons- I, concerns I as exactly me. Was, cause I was, because I caught on to that, too. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that's something that you and Max and I have, you know, we, we, we've gone back and forth about it with other people because, you know, people misconstrue what we're trying to do when uh, we some in the past when the things we said, we are not trying to abolish prisons. I mean, everybody knows that if prisons were, and I'm speaking from somebody in prison, that if we <laughs> abolished prisons, this you would have a chaotic uh, society out there. There's no doubt. I live among guys that I know deserve to be here. You know, I've met guys. I eat dinner with these guys, breakfast with these guys. I wake up next to them. I know some of these guys, my friend. And now, I wouldn't want these around some of my family. I wouldn't want to be around them in the free world. But I think that she made just made a mistake, you know. And I was just trying to make sure that my message was clear that we're not out to abolish prison. We are out to abolish slavery. Right. In the in the in the last thing that she mentioned that again. This is constructive criticism or constructive suggestion, but at no time during my conversations with slavery abolitionists have we left anyone out, including women. And we have pointed out on this program how women are the fastest growing demographic of new slaves in today's society. Okay, so again, we got to be on the same page. There's got to be unity. I didn't hear hear you or Crystal ever make any gender specific, you know, uh, comments about slavery. So, again, I I got a question. Where where did that come from? Is there an alternative or ulterior motive? You know, we're talking about human rights. Women are humans. Trans are humans. We ain't leaving nobody out. And I, I'll leave my comments at that. Right. I would like to uh, just address what you're talking about as far as South Carolina putting these guys on lockdown. And you're 100% correct, Scotty, by saying that it is a systematic attack on trying to break up and disfranchise everybody that is in the movement. Uh, we've seen it here in Alabama, uh, of course, with them removing Kinetic and Sun and Alamine uh, from the populations just to dis- disenfranchise the movement in itself. And it works. You know it works because of the mind frame that is inside the prison system. And I call it what it is, is slave mentality. Um, without individuals holding these guys' hands and actually uh, walking them through the strike and the protest, they don't know what to do. And so the administration is hip to that so to speak. They understand that if we place them in uh, confrontation with one another, and we've seen that back in April when they were placing the gang, the rival gangs inside the same block, which is something they used not to do, which caused the seven deaths there at the correction facility. And, but yet they wanted to turn around and do what? They wanted to blame it on cell phones. And, and we in Alabama already know that that's not, not the case. And we learned that that was not the case and we also learned later on that the administration knew about the chaos and did nothing about it. So, yeah, you're 100% right. That is the uh, way that they can break up and, and attempt to break up. And hopefully the uh, comrades over in South Carolina, they stick together and stick strong because uh, I, I would just like to point out that 
more major networks are picking up and even contacting my people wanting to do interviews. HBO Vice, uh, I have an uh, uh, interview with them tomorrow, which is, I, I think, a, a very positive move as far as networks picking up on this thing. Uh, yes. So well, I, I, I just, I just hope that these guys see that the progress since 2014, Max and Scotty, that we are slowly but surely taking steps in the right directions on this, and more and more public is starting to realize, hey, man, I, and I just had a fellow reporter today. She said, what would you rather me call you, an inmate or a convict? I said, you call me what the government tells you to call me in the 13th Amendment. It says call me a slave. I am a slave. Do not sugarcoat any of this, because as soon as we quit sugarcoating it, the sooner we start realizing what in the world we're dealing with. Exactly. And she did mention that uh, they were her number one thing was uh, conditions. And that's understandable because despite how bad a person is, they're still a human being and an American citizen and they deserve to be treated humanely. And that's a big change in itself because that's not happening right now. And I think it's important that people take note that if we deal with the acceptance clause of the 13th and inside these state constitutions, that all the things that we have an issue with from poor health care, conditions to overpopulated uh, prisons and to understaffing. All these things are going to fall in place because now you take the money out of it and you start bringing in the rehabilitation. And so guess what? They're going to stop locking up as many people. Yes, uh, there is a numbers have been thrown out about the entire value of the U.S. prison system. And it ranges from $500 million, a half a billion dollars, to as much as a trillion dollars, or half a trillion dollars, I'm sorry, to half a trillion dollars. And that's when they start adding the money that is spent by families and friends and the economic loss from jobs and things like that. Imagine having at least 70% of those monies freed up. <laughs> wow. No doubt. No doubt. You know, and I thought it was great that uh, I was told today that you and Scott Brewer uh, candidate running for the House of Representatives here in Alabama was talking about the cost of housing an inmate in Alabama being $80,000 being double the average salary of an Alabamian. I mean, <laughs> when are the taxpayers going to start realizing this? And if you really look at that, if they're willing to pay $80,000 a year per inmate, how much of that money are they doubling and the, putting in their pockets? Right, right. Um, guys, um, Scott is actually on our board. Scott, if you would like to comment, uh, again, we were talking about uh, Christopher Scott Brewer, who is running, if I remember correctly, for District 33 for the Alabama legislature. So um, we appreciate your presence. Uh, another abolitionist candidate that we can add to the list. And so, yes, uh, Scott has unmuted himself. Welcome in, Scott. So glad that you could join us tonight. Can you hear me? Yes, yes we sir. can. Welcome aboard, oh. Scott. All right. Well, I want to uh, congratulate Swift for uh, uh, to start with on his <clears throat> interview. And uh, I thought he just did a wonderful job. And uh, congratulate him too on uh, uh, HBO Vice uh, News. Uh, Amen. Going to uh, interview him here in the future. I, I appreciate all that, but you know, speaking humbly, Scott, you know good and well that there are millions of swift justices across this nation, and I know. None, none of this is focused on me, and, and that's one reason why I do what I do is because it's not just me. It's not about me. It is about uh, 
four million incarcerated slaves across the United States. True, true. But, you know, there has to be a voice put to it, and, and you're doing a wonderful job of it, so. Well, we can thank, uh, we can thank Max Parthas and uh, Scotty T. Reed for that, because uh, they're my mentors. <laughs> they are that. Absolutely. <laughs> they they yeah, unleashed absolutely. a beast about four years ago. <laughs> yeah, I can remember, brother. We've had some long conversations. But, you know, we can't be taking credit like that, because we this there was people here before us, like Lee Wood was uh, yeah. championing this cause before we came along. Angela Davis, although she does not champion it now, was championing this cause before we came along. And there may have only been a few, but there's always been an abolitionist around. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I will comment on the uh, um, point that uh, Swift was bringing up that we were talking about on social media about how um, we pay 80000 uh uh, dollars a year for uh, to house a prisoner. Uh, sometimes uh, that eighty thousand is not uh, prorated. Uh, when a bed is empty, we're probably paying it when a, when there's just a bed there, without a body in it. Um, and the uh, DAs and the courts are probably working very hard to try to fill that bed, because as we know, you know, there's a quota uh, to meet <clears throat> and a profit scheme involved in uh, prison systems today. Um, and when I think about uh, the average salary in Alabama, uh, you know, if you're making uh, $15 a year with benefits, you're probably right around $35,000 a year take-home pay. Um, why the taxpayer is okay with paying $80,000, and even even in the, in the scope of, of Republican, uh, get tough on crime Republicans here in Alabama, <laughs> who think that uh you know who can't get past the uh, moral equivalency moral equivalency of um of committing a crime or a choice to commit, to commit a crime making a choice to commit a crime and and paying for that crime why they would be okay with uh taxpayers paying $80,000 uh for someone that they think you know deserves to be in prison while they're out there making, you know, 35K, 40K maybe at, at the most, and that's twice as much as they're earning in their salaries. Now, I don't understand why they would be okay with this. Not, not to mention the lack of funding across this nation for education because, you know, quoting Fred, Frederick Douglass, again, as Max quoted earlier, say it again, Max. Uh, what was I quoting? I, I, you lost me. Education makes <laughs> oh, education makes a man unfit to be a slave, and that applies to men, women, and children. If you know, you're not unfit to be a slave. Right. And, and, and I was going to top off on that, and I'm glad you said that because you know, uh, Scott, I will I will say this: why citizens are okay with that is because they're not educated to what we are actually saying and putting out for them, and for years individuals such as ourselves were called conspiracy theorists or sympathy seekers and that's not the case these individuals in the uh, free world as i call it are so caught up in their life that the prison situation is not something that they're affected with you know i use this example a lot of times when i'm being interviewed is why would i ever be uh, moved by something i'm not affected with i don't go and pay or give donations to cancer foundations, I don't have cancer, or AIDS foundations, I don't have AIDS. Uh, but no sooner than I'm infected or diagnosed by one of those who uh, 
diseases or many diseases across the board. Guess what? I'm going to give my life savings to that so I can learn everything there is or find a, find a cure for it because now I'm being affected by it. But society today does not realize how deep they are being affected by it. And one of the perfect examples I would love to point out, it recently just happened, Scott, I'm sure you remember this individual that was released by the parole board. His name is Jimmy Spencer, I believe it is. And he was released. He had a criminal uh, history of nonviolent offenses, and now he is being charged with three capital murders. Mm. Now you have a new family out there that is being infected. But I'd like to say one thing, Scott, because now you bring in not one predator, but two predators because the Alabama Department of Corrections did not fulfill their obligation to rehabilitate uh, this man while he was in prison the many times that he was in prison. And all this time they were setting him loose because they knew that he would be a good customer and come right back to the Alabama Department of Corrections. Right, right. Which, which you know, we've talked about, um, we've talked about the Department of Corrections not doing the job of corrections before. Uh, just to elaborate a little bit more too on uh, on the salary thing, um, education is important. <clears throat> it's very important that we we begin to uh, uh, educate. There are probably a lot of people like, especially here in Alabama, they probably don't even know that they pay eighty that we pay eighty k a year per per bed, or that we uh, that we are sometimes not prorating that bed when it doesn't have a a body in it uh that 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 80k is is being held over you know until it it, it can get a uh a body filled in that so i absolutely i hear you and and part of my purpose uh and, and the reason for me uh, uh putting this uh issue higher on my platform now is uh hopefully to have a broader platform in order to talk about it and and speak from that uh governmental platform uh, to educate people. Well, Scott, that. Scott, I'm glad you brought that up because I was just about to ask you to please educate people about um, your your quest to become part of the Alabama State Legislature because we do have listeners, obviously, in Alabama. So if you would, will you please tell people who you are and how they can uh, support your platform, which includes slavery abolition. Uh, well, it's, I'm out of Talladega, Alabama. I'm running for District uh, 33. I'm actually from Childersburg, which is in Talladega County. But, um, yeah, I decided to run, and um, I decided to run based on uh, economic measures and educational measures, and uh, I've got two young kids that I care about very much having a future in this state um lack of jobs uh poverty uh level in our state which is still uh, uh higher than the rate of the national average and um the uh criminal justice reforms uh is something that came to me uh after i decided to run and um folks reach out to me um and then i connected with you guys of course and so uh as i've gone through this process and i've learned and uh left my uh, mind open to uh being educated on a lot of these things um yeah i i, I made it uh, i put it in a higher position on my platform uh, as I remember the day you were on air in the first interview you did with us. She was like, this has got to be number one for me now. I remember yeah. you were so 
Like you were so blown away by the circumstances. The yes. exceptions clause was something that had never crossed my radar before. And it, it, if I can be uh, someone who had never, you know, heard that before or it never crossed my radar, and imagine how many other people uh, that it hasn't Millions. crossed their radar either. Tens of and, and apathy. Scott, don't, whatever you do, Scott, don't feel uh, like you, you, you missed out on anything. Oh, sure. Back when um, Robert Earl, kinetic justice, myself and some, we was discussing this many years ago, we called prominent lawyers yeah, and asked yeah. them about the exception clause in the 13th Amendment. And guess yep. what? These are right. men of law, and they didn't even know it existed. Right, right, right. So, but it, it just goes to show that it, it, there's such a need to, to broaden the platform on it. Um, and and it has to go further than just uh, uh, abolitionism and, 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 you know, groups like this, right? It has to go into the government stage, into the governmental stage. And it's got to go, you know, obviously I'm going to only going to be at a state level, <clears throat> but there is an exception clause in the Alabama Constitution. Yep. And so, you know, maybe I won't be dealing with the U.S. Constitution from a, a, a standpoint of being a U.S. representative uh, in the in the uh, House of Representatives in the U.S. Congress. Uh, but if we can deal with it at the state level here, right here in Alabama, where uh, prison for profit is probably at one of his worst states. Um, then hopefully that can you know ring a bell. Well, uh, well, Scott, look, look at it this way, Scott. It was the states that started this wave of cannabis legalization, and so as we've heard, you know, I've heard Barack Obama say, you know, states are the incubators of democracy. So if you are successful and, and we're going to say you are going to be successful in winning your winning the seat and successful in removing that exception clause, as we mentioned, Colorado uh, has attempted it through a ballot initiative. But who knows? You could start a trend. Well, and and, and, and believe this or not, uh, Scott, you are starting a trend as, as well as other politicians throughout the United States. You take, for instance, in, uh, what, what was it, Max, Pennsylvania, the district attorney over there? Yes. Uh, I mean, he Crash started a Right. I mean, he started a, a, a trend that other politicians and district attorney politicians across the United States, once they latched on to the word mass incarceration, which I frown upon, I mean, I hate that word, and, and I mean, but they're being comfortable enough now to call it mass incarceration, but it's a trend, right. and now we have to start turning their vocabulary around, okay, stop calling it mass incarceration, call it for what it is, it's slavery, sure. and yeah. the day that they start saying the word slavery for what it is, because the Constitution of the United States and the Alabama Constitution says that I'm not an inmate, I'm not a convict, I'm a slave, so we have to to follow by what that constitution says. I mean, it is, but you are starting a trend, and more people are starting to latch on to it, whether or not, whether it be here in Alabama. There's somebody that out there that is listening, and by your, by your guts to even speak out as a candidate, and hopefully a, a House of Representatives soon, um, there's no choice. These people are going to latch upon that, and they're going to start recognizing it for what it is because we're not going to, we, me, Max, Scotty T. Reed, and yourself, we're not going to give them no choice but to fall right. right in. Either fall right in or you can move move, move away. Because right. the more and more that we speak on this, the more and more acceptance is going to be within right. society. 
Right. You know, well, I, I would I would certainly hope there would never be any any uh, um, obstacle to the movement um, for any reason. But uh, I will say that a, a test for me, uh, and this is a test that I'm setting for uh, everyone involved. But a test for me will be to actually uh, have a bill written and sponsor a bill, and and that would be or you a can support huge, a, you can support a, a voter initiative too as well, Scott, which is what they're doing sure. in. Colorado, Colorado, right. in order to take their exception clause out, they didn't have to go through a bill. Uh, they just simply put it in as a voter initiative. And they made a mistake in the beginning by being overly wordy, trying to explain it. And this year, right. what they're doing is simply putting it as a yes and no with the mm -hmm. exception clause of Colorado firmly in view and saying, take the exception clause out, yes or no. Or, or, or Max. That might be the way we need to do it, too. Yeah, also, though, it depends on the state, because every state, because North Carolina doesn't allow those type of statewide ballot initiatives to do that, because I've looked into it. So it differs from state to state. But let's say, let's just say for a sake of argument, that is the case in Alabama. Well, right now in North Carolina, they're putting, uh, trying to get six constitutional amendments on the November ballot to change, you know, different amendments. And this is a Republican-controlled legislature here in North Carolina, and I'm not going to mention the, the various uh, different uh, constitutional amendments that they're trying to do. What they're really trying to do is strip power from the Democratic governor as he's empowered by the Constitution to make certain appointments and things of that nature. But that's another avenue which I'm going to start pressing my my local state uh, legislature on amending the North Carolina Constitution. Now, North Carolina Constitution actually on um, one of the lines that outright bans slavery. It says slavery will forever be abolished. No exception clause. But the exception, the trickery comes in with the involuntary servitude as punishment for crime. Well, hell, you're talking about the same thing. So, you know. Right, right. And, and I, can, I can rephrase that and, and say that, you know, maybe it's, if there's any sort of legislative process uh, being pushed towards that in Alabama, then, then I'll, I'll consider that a success. Even if we put it to the people for an up or down vote and they say no, at least the legislative process has, has been made an effort for it. So that, that to me would be a, a, a positive to the movement. I think you're right. Hey, gentlemen, I, I want to cover tonight uh, as much of the strike incidents of the first two days as I can. And I'd also like to do a little bit of more commentary on the video that we listened to, which included the statements made by uh, Brother Swift Justice. And the names of the people uh, who participated in, I'd like to put those out as well. Uh, the woman, that, the young lady that you heard uh, speaking was Marilyn Walston. And she is a member of the California Coalition of Women Prisoners. You also heard Crystal Roundtree, who is one of the uh, lead organizers of the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights uh, Organization or Coalition. And she's also representing jailhouse lawyers speak in this instance. Then you heard Swift Justice, the co-founder of Unheard Voices, who's on air with us right now. And one voice that you did not hear is Chandra Bozelko. And she is a formerly incarcerated writer. As a matter of fact, she said something in there that you people didn't hear, but I, I'm just going to point it out. Where she showed how uh, work for her while in prison was very helpful. 
And, you know, that may be the case in certain instances, but we certainly don't need uh, to be putting that out there advocating that it does. Hey, Max, Max, we do need to take our break, but I wonder if it's the same person. I came across an article she wrote a couple of years ago pushing that same argument, and she was funded by some organizations. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say, uh, but we do need to take our break. All right, well, let's do it right now. You are listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on the Black Talk Radio Network, and we're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking, as we do every week. We'll be right back after these messages. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All right, peace, and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We're going to continue the conversation regarding the video that we heard. Uh, I want to give anybody else an opportunity before I go ahead and voice mine. And if you guys can stay on the line, please do so. But if anyone wants to call in and offer their opinion on the video that we just heard, uh, please call in now at, uh, let me get you the number here, at 704-802-5056. 704-802-5056. And you can unmute yourself by pressing star star. As a matter of fact, uh, I was hoping one of the organizers from IWOC would participate in tonight's conversation. Uh, earlier today, I listened to uh, one of their planning stages and uh, didn't get a chance to offer some insight, and maybe I can give it to them personally. Either way, I'm going to speak it on air sometime during the night. Well, Scotty, anybody on the line? Um, nobody knew, and uh, Scott and Swift, I, I muted y'all uh, because of background noise. I'm not sure which line it was, but anytime you want to jump back in, just hit star, star. Um, didn't, not muting you because we don't want to hear from you. So, uh, but yeah, just hit star, star. But there's no one else at this time, Max. Okay, great. Well, there was a couple of things that I wanted to point out that I heard during the conversation there. One, the first one was they was talking about the 13th Amendment and uh, the... Uh, person that was talking about it at the time was Marilyn Ralston, Sister Ralston, and she said that that loophole, and she didn't say the 13th Amendment, but she kind of alluded to it, the loophole allows for people to be treated inhumanely, and no, that is not what that loophole does, and then also she said uh, that the loophole states, except if you're a prisoner, no, it doesn't say that either. It says, except for prisoners duly convicted. So all you have to do is be duly convicted. You don't have to get to the jail yet. You could be in the courthouse. And the moment they say you are convicted, you are now property of the state. Um, so those are two things I just want to clear up. And also, my brother Swift Justice men- mentioned Tutwiler Prison. And I want to take the opportunity to remind people about what has happened in Tutwiler Prison. Tutwiler is a woman's prison in Alabama where more than half of the guards were uh, habitually uh, raping and abusing the female prisoners there in that building. The Department of Justice investigated the prison and the guards admitted to what they were doing. And to the best of my knowledge, right now, at this point, many of those guards who were accused of such a thing are still there with those women. That's Tutwiler Prison. I just thought people should know about that. And there was a mention about boycotting stores. I think that's a brilliant idea. We provided at least 
50 companies that you can boycott starting today on our new abolitionist radio page. And um, then there was a thing where it was talking about the voting rights. That's something here that we promote uh, entirely. We feel that once people who are under oppression and have been uh, unjustly, unconstitutionally robbed of their rights, get those rights back, then politicians will have to start to cater to the uh, needs of people who are incarcerated. So that's a really big thing. Um, so again, I want to go back to the part where you got hijacked too. Uh, and I don't understand why that happens, and it happens so often. You clearly, Swift, was talking about abolishing slavery by taking out the exception clause of the 13th Amendment. However, you uh, made a slight error in that, that doesn't matter. But that was your whole point, and you said it was the number one thing. And no sooner than you were done than what you had just said got contradicted on purpose and reapplied to prison abolition. And I don't understand why that is a constant thing. And that's one of the things that I would like to offer to the organizers right now who are putting together this prison work strike that's going to happen until September the 9th. You've got to get your story straight. You can't have three people on national television, international television, talking about three different things. What are you here for? What is your absolute goal? Is it to end slavery or is it to get reforms? I mean, we got to get our, our, on the same page with this. Otherwise, it's just going to create confusion. Scotty? Uh, oh, Swift, that's, that's Swift, go ahead. Yeah, that, that's 100% correct. You know, uh, we do have to do that, and we have to be real careful on how we choose our words. Man, because if not, it's going to be a miscommunication all the way around the board. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we got you, and we got Scotty, too actually bring out these contradictions and you know i'm thankful for that uh but yeah i agree with that we had and that's one reason why i had beat myself up by the mistake that i made because publicly i need to be on point about saying the correct thing and you know and no sooner i listened to myself and hopefully this queen who said what she said that she would uh that she would recognize what she said and the error in that uh but it's, it's that's why i beat myself up when i said we need to abolish the 13th amendment i mean you know no we don't because that wouldn't do nothing but allow slavery all the way around the board again if we did that. It's the exception clause that has to be removed. Right. And you were right, and I'm, I'm pointing. I'm not in disagreement with you. And I really appreciate Sister Crystal Roundtree because she clearly said, in no, uh, with no confusion whatsoever, that this is clearly slavery. She didn't say prison slavery, said clearly slavery, period. And she she really held it down right there. So I, I certainly have always appreciated her. She's like a hero of mine. And, and you know what? When, 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 when I was uh, made aware that Crystal was going to be home with me, I was like at ease. And I said, okay, now I know I got a solid queen who knows what she's talking about. She's going to be on there to back me up. So, yeah, I was really at ease by that, man. I, I really got a lot of love for Queen Crystal Brownstreet. And I, I saluted her from the beginning with the Millions of Christmas March because of the dedication that she has for the comrades inside. And any comrade who's listening from inside a prison across uh, the United States, man, do know that there's people out there that's fighting for us, man, and they're giving all their all. And you have to take recognition of that. And I don't want Crystal or anybody such as Max or Scott or anybody else uh, to think one moment that we don't notice the work that y'all do. Yeah, I mean, we only want the best for this. I mean, we want this to be successful, and uh, we, we're trying to play our role in how this happens. 
but it's difficult for us when it's mixed messages being put out. Everyone knows clearly what we're about right here. So anything other than that narrative is going to be questioned by us. Well, I, I just want to again put Swift's mind at ease because we just heard the first part, but after she spoke, you came up and you made it very clear of what you was talking about. You were talking about the 13th Amendment. You are talking about slavery. So don't beat yourself up because you might have misspoke the first time, but you definitely was on point um, this, when you came back and, and you said, let me be clear about what we're talking about. So, uh, so I, you did an excellent job. And and again, language is very, very important. Words are very important, and we should be as precise as possible with our words. And we should always be quoting, quote like Swift keeps saying. What does the Constitution say? I am. Does the Constitution say I'm an inmate? Does the Constitution say I'm a convict? Or does the Constitution say I'm a slave? So we have to be very, very precise in our language because it's taken we st- we launched new abolitionist radio in 2013 it has taken all these years for an international um 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 cable news show like al jazeera uh um other newspapers that are now online to even even talk about the 13th amendment so we have to be on point when we get these opportunities because who knows when they'll come again well i have no. to give credit where it's due uh, and that's with al jazeera last year they did an entire documentary in the alabama prisons as a matter of fact they came to me first here in south carolina and they wanted to me to come to the south carolina prisons with them where i could do some poetry related to the topic as well as speak on it but when they gave my name to the prisons all their rights were revoked so i'm persona non gratis and then they asked me where they could go and i sent them to the free alabama movement and they did an entire documentary on them including with brother kinetic involved in it so i got to give them credit for that they've been on this now for the last two years you know i i, I don't want to really get off the subject but i, I yesterday something happened to me yesterday during the interview I was asked a very, very good question. And this reporter asked me, he said, well, I understand the consequences of what's going on with the strike that will uh, result in against the state and the Department of uh, Corrections in each one of these states that this is going on at. But what consequence would it have on the inmates? You know, Max, I couldn't answer that question with a statement. I mean, I had to ask the question. I said, what consequence? Would it take upon us if we don't strike? That's the question that I have. Because what do I have to lose? I'm known by the law of the land as a slave that has been painted a picture through society. They have painted pictures, people. They paint pictures to make you think that it's this way, but it's another way. Because it's not as transparent as you think it is. And they start calling it an inmate or a convict, and they're getting this and they're getting that, when in all actuality, they're not. And then they ask me, what is the difference between modern-day slavery and pre-slavery of 1865? And I said, well, I mean, if you think that they're whipping us with whips, they're not, but they are hitting us with sticks. If you think that they're feeding us plums off the table... No, they're not, but they are feeding us things that are not human consumption, or meant for human consumption, vote on boxes. If you think that they're working us 
in um, slave clothing, but no, they have slave clothing and they're working me in the chow hall or on a squad or whatever it might be. And they still have me chained together at times in different states and stuff like that. And they, you know, I pointed these things out. And even when I get out, you know, we can go to the convict leasing era after that. You know, it, it, Max, if I'm given parole today, and, and relate this, if you would, to the convict, slave, the convict leasing era, if you would. But if I get out on parole today, and I don't have a job or I don't have a, a home plan, I'm going to go where? I'm going to jail, right? Most of our prison inmates come from probation violation these days. <laughs> right. But at the same time, during the convict leasing era, right after 1865, wasn't it not true that if a former slave didn't have proof of a job or proof of a resident that uh, he was going to jail? Yes, those were called the Black Codes, and they were practiced for a short time legally, uh, but then illegally, or rather just as a custom practice long after that. Uh, but but also, also, Max, um, our reporting over the years about the criminalization of the homeless, that's, that's yeah. because those Black Codes, you know, they weren't actually called Black Codes. They were laws like vagrancy. Those are still on the books, right. like Swift Justice just mentioned. If you couldn't prove that you were gainfully employed with a check stub or something, whatever, you know how you would prove that back then, then they could throw you into jail. If if too many black people was congregating on the corner, that's public loitering. Those laws are still on the books, and they're usually used against the poor people, homeless people. Scott wants to chime in. Go ahead, Scott. Well, I was going to just bring us back to uh, the importance of language. You know, um, when you are, are quoting those laws and, and when we talk about um, uh, the, the um, convict leasing uh, laws and, they were and what you were, yeah, and, and, and what you were just talking about, Max, and what you were asking about, Swift. But, see, that brings us back to another point where we're going to look back at the uh, 13th Amendment and where the exception clause uh one thing we're focusing on is the uh word exception in the language uh, the other thing and otherwise right and and another thing we're focusing on there is involuntary servitude right and so the next thing the jumping off point from there is duly duly convicted mm-hmm. have these people been duly convicted uh it doesn't matter that that they're uh, uh you know put into this position uh as prisoners but have they been duly convicted and the answer is well, no to that because of a right, 95 right. come up uh 95 percent plea bargain that is duly right. not duly convicted right which is another unconstitutional aspect of the of the, of the language right so right it's a sixth amendment violation that's right that's a good point. You know, you know. You have to focus on the language. Yeah, actually, uh, Otis, uh, our abolitionist brother from uh, Virginia, he is the first person that I noticed to even point out duly convicted. Does duly convicted? Does that mean rightfully convicted? Does what does that mean? What does that word mean? You know, and Max brought up uh, some interesting points, but let let's go to the dictionary. This is what Dooley, this is what the dictionary says. Uh, I'm not sure which dictionary this is, but I just pulled it up in a search engine. It's an adverb, and 
Duly, the definition is in accordance with what is required or appropriate, mm. following proper oh, procedure or arrangement. Another, another one is as might be expected or predicted. Wow, you know, so so duly convicted. Uh, I would say we've seen in too many cases have resulted in wrongful convictions and what have you. So, so that language is important. And as we look across the country, uh, we're finding out that uh, due process uh, by trial, uh, by uh, decent, uh, and as it's uh, defined, you know, uh, legal representation, decent legal, decent legal representation, or, or however it's defined, um, competent, competent, and they're not getting that. The actual not getting due legal process, term is not going effective. to a trial. The actual legal term is that in that is effective representation, right? Effective, or ineffective, and. You know that right there in itself is is the language that you have to look at, and that's the, and I have actually uh, studied that effective counsel and, it, and why why has due process been removed so much from from the system? Because there's a cost in the, in having a trial, right? Right. Yep. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, in Alabama, Scott, you're looking at anywhere between thirty thousand to sixty thousand dollars per trial. I've, I've seen prosecutors spend nearly a million dollars to convict somebody of petty robbery. Right. And you know, and that's a did. very good point that you brought up too while ago, Max. I'm sorry to cut you off, Scott, but uh, the 95% on um, uh, plea agreement. And, you know, it, you just think about it. If the public was to get educated to the point of realizing, hey, I have a right to a trial, whether it be a jury trial or a bench trial, uh, and and we started making the county uh, and the state spend these money to actually give a due process trial, then the state's going to go broke. And right. how it, it would almost literally break the justice system. Right, right. You know, guys, um, Max, I do want to play that recording because it intersects with the voting rights, but y'all just mentioned something. Um, I was doing some research on voting and, you know, people that's in jail and pretrial detention. So I came across a, a North Carolina uh, outlets article, the newsobserver.com, and they were writing about um, 400, 400 people were found to have illegally, quote unquote, illegally voted here in North Carolina because they were felons and they were still on probation, right? And so the State Board of Elections sent out these notices to prosecutors that these people were on probation when they voted. Again, in North Carolina, you can vote as a felon. You can as long as you've completed your probation. It's automatic restoration. But they went after only all only one county. It was four hundred and something people. Twelve of those people were from Alamance County here in North Carolina. So I had reached out to the uh co- the Southern Coalition for Justice, which is a nonprofit that I've worked with here 
in the past because that's who was cited as representing these people because the guy who was representing them, the attorney said that this is a violation of their 14th Amendment, equal protection under the law, and it's a violation of North Carolina equal protection laws. Uh, uh, these people didn't intend to break the law. So this one county went after them. All the other counties said, okay, we're we're not even going to prosecute them. We're going to dismiss them. But Alamance did. Now, I talked to him today, uh, uh, one of their staffers, and he told me, I said, you know what? I said, what's the status of this case? Because this article was published in July. I said, where is it at? I said, you know, I was particularly interested in the 14th Amendment argument that your uh, uh, staff attorney was making on behalf of of those who were being charged in Alamance County. And you know what they told me? He told me the case been resolved. They ended in a plea bargain. Uh, They played. These were felonies that the prosecutors agreed to allow them to plead down to misdemeanors and do 60 days of community service. And so I had mentioned to him what Max had said, the 95%, you know, plea bargain. And we agree that, you know, while we understand why they did not go, go to court or try their luck in a trial, they don't want to you know, lose their jobs possibly or lose their homes or or fall into financial ruin. And he said it was, but it was unfortunate we did not get to press that argument in the courts. So I just wanted to bring that up. Doesn't that mirror what happened in Texas not long ago? And I got a question on, on that right there. Doesn't each state have a, a, a someone that is supposed to oversee the individuals who are registering to vote and make sure that they are eligible to vote? Well, there are organizations that well, are trying to do that. This not happening in North Carolina. That's what the attorney told me. He said these people were not informed of the law, why they were on probation, about their voting, you know, restrictions and what have you. When they went to go vote, their names were on the voting rolls. Therefore, they were allowed to vote when they should have been removed from the voting rolls if you know they weren't eligible. So, so that's, you know, that's the question that's, here. That's so much. That so much puts me in mind of the literacy law back in, in back in the days after eighteen sixty five. The literacy laws require that you must be able to read and write to vote, but at the same time, as slaves, they wasn't allowed to learn to read and write. So that that, that just places me in the mind of that. So let us keep these individuals ignorant to what they do, and when they do it, uh, ignorance of the law is no exception. Right, and Alamance County took that attitude and, and went for prosecutions. I was happy to hear the other counties did not pursue those uh, uh, hey, I, charges. I'd like to throw in some numbers there if I can. They talk about 6 million people being disenfranchised and unable to vote. And and this is only in regards to people who have been formerly incarcerated in prison. But what Scotty's touching on right now is a much larger number of people who are being disenfranchised because there may be 2.4 million people in prisons, but 12 million people go through the jails every year. 12 million. And then, and they are just as incarcerated as the people in prison. Some of them are in there for three, five, ten, even up as much as 10 years without receiving a trial. 
So if we're saying six million at this point, we should probably double that to twelve well, million. Yeah, well, you're 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 beginning to get into the realm of uh, voter suppression at that point. Yes, exactly. They're losing their rights before they've been duly convicted. Right. Not only that, Scott, but voters monopoly. On top mm-hmm. of that, I mean, because when you when you get done in bed with it, uh, and, and I've said this, and me and Kinetic went through this before, man. This is becoming such a social status issue to the point of it, it, it's hard to not recognize it anymore. Now we do know that the black community is more and more. Uh, what should I say, affected by this. We know this, and I, I'll be the first to holler that. Um, but today, in today's time, this is a social status issue because they are actually targeting impoverished and now middle-class voters. Well, I, I can't tell you the, uh, uh, how many uh, poor white folk that I've run across in my campaign uh, since I decided to run last February. And I will ask them, one of my first questions to, to people when I approach them is, hello, do you vote? And I cannot tell you how many poor white folks have told me no. And, of course, I look surprised at them, and I ask, well, you don't vote? Why don't you vote? Well, it don't do no good. It don't do no good. So yeah. voter apathy is um, not a uh, mutually exclusive to Right. Yeah. Right uh, let, let, let me say this, and I would like to play this clip. Um, but let me let me say this. I'm gonna mute everybody, and I do see the caller from New York. New York, uh, please hold on. But I'm gonna mute everybody right now because I want to play this clip, and I want everybody to uh, be able to to hear it uh, clearly. But I'm challenging people, Max. We're getting, okay, I think that's Otis' line. And Otis, I'm going to mute you. I note the two people that want to uh, comment who are new callers. That's Otis. And I think that's our brother Tag out of uh, our abolitionist partner out of New York City. But let, let me say this. Um, to Swift Justice's point about disproportionality, the attorney for the uh, Southern Coalition for Justice told me out of those 12 people that they went after uh, for for voting while still on probation, eight of them were African-American and the other four were uh, uh, Caucasians. Okay, um, so uh, it does affect us in terms of voter suppression more than other Groups. Now, this is, I want y'all to listen to this call that I made to Gaston County. And this is dealing with voting rights that Max was just talking about of people who have not been convicted of a crime but are awaiting trial and in jail because they can't afford bail. You know, the United States is one of only two countries, the Philippines being the other, that have a cash bail system. So I was specifically asking about those who are locked up but otherwise eligible to vote if they are being given absentee ballots because I suspect this is a unexplored area of voter suppression that is happening in this country and it's a constitutional violations of U.S. citizens' right. So I'm going to go ahead and play that clip. It's about five minutes long. Please bear, bear with me. And we will come back to the callers who wanted to to comment. So let me cue that up for you. Emergency, please hang up and dial 911. The new operation hours for administrative offices, including gun permits, is Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., excluding holidays. 
gun permits is also open until 8 p.m. on Tuesdays. To reach someone in the administrative offices or to speak to Sheriff Alan Cloninger, press 1. For jail and... Jackson County Sheriff's Office. This is Yvonne. May I help you? I'm sorry. What was your name, ma'am? Yvonne. Hi, Yvonne. My name is uh, Scotty Reed. I'm a resident here in Gaston County. And I was just calling to get some general information. Um, I, and it's concerning voting. You know, we got the 2018 midterms coming up. And while discussing some stuff with some other activists, the question just came into my mind to find out if in the Gaston County Jail, pre-trial detainees who are not felons or are not on probation because, you know, felons, once they're off probation, can vote here in North Carolina. But I'm, I'm talking specifically about pre-trial detainees and if they are have ever been given um, absentee ballots uh, for those who are registered to vote and eligible to vote. Can they vote while they're in jail awaiting trial? Hold on. I'm going to transfer you to jail information. Can you hold? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Thanks for holding. We appreciate your time and patience. Gaston County Sheriff's Office, this is Madison. Hi, Madison. My name is Scotty. I was transferred to you. I live here in Gaston County, and I'm just trying to get some information concerning uh, voting rights of U.S. citizens who are in pretrial detention. I'm not talking about those who are ineligible to vote or not registered to vote uh, because they may be, you know, have a previous felony and still on probation for that. But I'm, I'm just talking about pretrial detainees who are otherwise eligible to vote if they are given uh, absentee ballots, given the option to vote while they are in pretrial detention since they haven't been convicted. Okay, hang on just a second. I'm going to transfer you, okay? Yes, ma'am. Gaston County Sheriff's Office, can I help you? Uh, yes, my name is Scotty. Who am I speaking with? This is CJ. CJ, you're the third person that I've been transferred to. Nobody seems to be able to answer my question. I hope that you can answer it. Um, I'm I will certainly try. I'm calling, I appreciate that. I'm calling in regards to pre-trial detainees who don't have a, a previous felony status, who are not in there possibly because of probation violation, but people who otherwise are eligible to vote but are facing charges, um, and if elections come up before they have been convicted, if they're in pre-trial detention, if they are afforded, absentee ballots so that they can vote in elections. Oh, my. Um, have you called the... Oh, my goodness, I registered did. Were you registered to vote? Um, no, I'm not. I'm not in jail. <laughs> uh, I have... I mean, that would be a question I think they could answer because I don't know that answer. No, this would be actually a sheriff's department policy. Now, the uh, law here in North Carolina, okay, a felon can vote. Um, 
after they serve their probation. But I'm not talking about felons. I'm talking about pretrial detainees who have yet to be convicted and are otherwise eligible and registered to vote if they are given absentee ballots while they're in jail so that they can uh, participate in voting. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I don't even know who to ask that question to. I guess maybe the sheriff, Sheriff Cloninger. Um, let me pass you to the major. Okay. Hold on just a moment. On the line, and we'll be back in a moment. Okay, I'm going to stop it there because I got her voicemail and I just simply kept repeating the same thing that you heard me repeat to the other three uh, uh, people. And I did not get a call back from the major. I forget what her name is. Uh, She says her name in the recording, but never got a call back from her. So I'm going to give her till noon tomorrow to call me back. Um, If I don't get a call my next call, I'll be demanding to speak to the sheriff because what it tells me is that you don't know is because you're not giving them their ballots, their absentee right. ballots. Because if you were, you would know. Somebody would know. You got your answer. You know, uh, Scott, Scotty, <laughs> this is funny because today I was having a conversation. You know, For the listeners that, that are listening, here in Alabama, we just recently, a, a few years back, was uh, got a law passed to the point of where uh, guys with felons, with immoral interpretive crimes, can vote. Now, I'm out on the yard today, and I'm asking these guys, I'm talking to these guys about the same thing. And these two guys that I'm talking about did not know that they could vote. Well, they said, well, we can't vote. How can we vote? We're in prison. I said, man, well, we had this law passed, and I said, have y'all not ever seen anything dealing with this? Well, there again, it is a policy for the DOC to do this, but at the same time, they are not doing it. For right. the simple fact is they do not want us to vote. Right. Right. That's a 15th Amendment violation. All we've been talking about all night have been constitutional violations except for one. That's the 13th Amendment which is being enforced by Congress as is. We talked about Sixth Amendment violations that are happening all over the country continuously, Eighth Amendment violations that are happening continuously, Fourteenth Amendment and Fifteenth Amendment violations. This is the definition of a constitutional crisis. Well, we do have those other callers, and I'm going to go to Otis first, um, and then I'm going to go, I believe that's Tag out of New York, but let me let me say this uh, real quick. I want to challenge each and every person who's listening now or listening to the podcast later to call your county jail and ask the same questions. And if you are in a one-party consent state, as far as recording the calls, record those calls and send them to us so we can play them. That is a jail policy. And I'm going to, I've reached out to a local organization, civil rights organization here, and I'm going to work with them to get these uh, men and women the absentee ballots. And I would dare say even go in there and give them an opportunity to register to vote if they ain't registered. Otis. Uh, Good evening, gentlemen. I'm going to try to keep it quick because I know we're running out of time. 
The only point I wanted to make is I gotta get my voice on there saying right on Swift Justice. The other part, the other part is uh, we did we we've already found out over the last five or six years. This is a concerted effort. One of the first bills I ever saw associated with Alec was the need to defund public defenders, which also leads me to the other point I want to make sure we got on here. The discretion given to DAs and prosecutors to overcharge people and scare them into plea bargains, sometimes without even the evidence to prove it. Stacking charges. Yep. You see that happening everywhere. You do. You see it happening everywhere. Um, next caller, 646. I believe that's tag. Um, but you are unmuted. You should have heard your line come unmuted. Go ahead. Uh, give us your name, a pseudonym, and go ahead with your question and comment. Yes. Peace to y'all, brothers, and peace to everyone on the line. Uh, dope discussion. I, I, too, will keep it brief. Uh, basically, I just wanted to follow up on the question around language that y'all were raising and the point that Brother Otis pointed out about this term duly, and it's a, it seems like a very purposefully crafted word there. And I, after you were going in on the dictionary definition, went ahead and consulted the uh, etymology definition um, or the etymology dictionary to see, you know, uh, where what words were they drawing from for this term do? And uh, intriguingly enough. It's saying that it's from about 1350, do, customary, regular, suitable, owed as a duty, and that it's borrowed from the old French, de, which is the past participle of devoir, to owe, from Latin, debiri, to owe, see debt. So the the fact that we're talking about terms of debt and um, what is owed as regards duly convicted seems seems extremely revealing. And I was I was immediately reminded of another etymology lookup around uh, this term. They're always talking about the quote unquote uh, peculiar institution when referring to slavery, often pre eighteen sixty five slavery. And uh, as it turns out that term peculiar also has everything to do with uh, property Etc. You know, it, it, it's, it's saying that peculiar goes back to about 1449, meaning belonging exclusively to a person, special, <clears throat> borrowed from Latin peculiaris of one's own property from peculium, money or property managed as one's own, etc. So just wanted to, uh, you know, add that to the discussion around how these slavers manipulate the language and uh, greatly appreciating the discussion. Uh, we did have a we did have a noise demonstration out here in the city uh, down in Brooklyn last night, and it doesn't look like there's minutes enough uh, for any kind of report back on that. But you know, heads are gathering, uh, you know, just recordings and and you know documentation of that. So uh, ideally, I'll be able to uh, put something together, uh, perhaps you know, on a podcast or the like. So I'll, I'll make sure to follow up. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, brother. Um, we have uh, a lot of stuff to cover tonight that we won't get a chance to. We've got two more segments to go. So this is going to happen as Scotty predicted earlier today. This is going to take two programs to really just cover a bunch of the stuff that just happened. And it may, we, we're going to continue to have this type of conversation 
for as long as people are going to be listening or until slavery has ended. Uh, so is there any final calls, comments, questions, or anything you want to add to it, Scotty? Um, nothing that I want to add, but I want to give uh, Scott and uh, Swift uh, a chance to leave us with some final thoughts. And um, Scott, please remind folks how how your name appears on the ballot, what district you're running for, so that we can make sure uh, that people are informed so we can get an abolitionist candidate uh, in the Alabama House. Okay, well, I want to make it quick. Just one thing uh, on tags. Uh, last uh, thing that he enlightened us to was well, the states make no qualms about calling you the property of the state when they have you in prison. Make no qualms about it. And that goes further to uh, language and, uh, uh, you know, about <laughs> being an inmate or a convict or a slave. They tell you you're, you are property as soon as you step in the doors. Uh, again, my uh, name will uh, appear on the ballot is Scott Brewer. Um, I'll be up right up under my opponent, probably. Um, I'm a Democrat on the on the ticket, uh, District 33, which uh, encompasses uh, South Talladega County in Alabama, uh, Coosa County, and uh, some of Clay County. And um, we're about 48,000 strong, 25,000 uh, registered voters, and we only have about, uh, on average, about 8,000 people who show up so voter turnout is going to be very important we've got to cure uh, voter apathy uh in order to do something about uh voter suppression uh in order to do something about voter suppression you have to look for those candidates you have to get engaged you have to vote and you have to look for those candidates who understand and are going to do something about it and are going to in, in cases where you're voting for a sheriff uh vote for your sheriff and ask them the questions when they're running if they're going to make uh uh, voting available to pretrial detainees. Uh, it's as simple as that. If you don't go out and vote and you don't look for those candidates who are talking about these things and who are going to stand for these things, then we're never going to do anything about it. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Swift? Man, I, listen, I, I'm not going to end. I appreciate you guys uh, inviting me on here again tonight. Uh, I'm going to say this as far as Scott Brewer goes. Uh, I can't vote. But if you're in that area, vote for me or Scott Brewer. <laughs> so, you know, if you don't normally go out there and vote, hey, just go on down there and vote for Scott Brewer and say you did that for Swift Justice. Um, but I, I want to stress, and I'm going to leave you all with this, but keep in your prayers each and every last one of these comrades that are participating inside of the strike that's going on. So in, in this, Yesterday we started another historical moment, people. If you're starting to learn about these uh, this nationwide strike and you haven't been familiar with what's going on, man, go to work tomorrow and tell somebody that doesn't know about it. And let's educate each and every last taxpayer citizen out there about what's going on in relation to slavery and the prison system. Uh, I want to uplift you, Max. I want to uplift you, Scotty TV. I appreciate everything that y'all do. I know Kinetic does as well. I'm speaking to Kinetic. I feel that I can do that. And I just want to show love for everybody who's showing love for us. And as soon as uh, I get that HBO uh, interview out of the way, I'm going to hook y'all up with that too. And I want to thank Al Jazeera too for having me on and just allowing me to be a voice for the guys who can't voice what they want to voice. Amen, brother. All right. Thank you too, indeed. And, um, <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead because, you know, I could talk all day. So I'm going to try to make this 
uh, quick. There was a lot of stories that came out in the first two days. Many of the mainstream media, usatoday.com came out with a story about the prison strike. UPI.com came out. The Guardian had something to say. Democracy Now! had something to say about uh, the prison uh, strike that is going on right now. And all of those uh, mainstream uh, publishers or uh, TV programs or whatever they are had something in common. They all had the words modern day slavery in a half-assed quotation. And when I say a half-assed quotation, I mean they use two apostrophes, one on each end. And I did some research, you know, to find out what the heck that means. And to the best of my knowledge, when you use two apostrophes, you're using them for a quote within a quote. And these titles are not quotes. So it's not a quote within a quote. I had this suspicion that maybe they were just using that type of um, apostrophe on each end to lend suspicion to the statement, modern day slavery. And the fact that all of these did it exactly, even though they had different titles, they still had that same thing going on, lent a lot of suspicion to me. I think one of the more mm, interesting articles one of the more important articles to come out uh, was something that surprised me. It was the ACLU actually released some information on the strike and mentioned the 13th Amendment. They didn't mention it in any way that they were going to investigate it or maybe get on board and try to find out what the problem is or maybe, you know, do what they're supposed to do. Instead, they said um, the term strike itself refers to incarcerated people across the country engaging in various types of nonviolent disobedience with the prison system, including not reporting to their workstations from August 21st to September 9th. This tactic is closely tied with a demand that prison labor be properly compensated in contrast to what one of the organizers calls slave labor in quotation marks, referencing the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which abolishes slavery, but carved out an exception for people who have been convicted of criminal offenses. And that's the most they had to say about the 13th Amendment. Nothing from them, just basically quoting what someone else uh, said and then stating the obvious. Well, comments? Well, Max, um, yeah, as we go to wrap it up, we still got our two segments, uh, the writer and our abolitionist in profile. But I'm going to look at what you just, and I'm in full 100% agreement with you, brother, and thanks for pointing out the apostrophe quotations and what have you, because as I talked to you earlier today, I said, well, maybe they're quoting the press release that came out that says modern slavery, and it never mentions the 13th Amendment. So again, this isn't me bashing anyone. This is a constructive suggestion that when we when we put out press release and these came from the prisoners themselves that in that press release you put the 13th amendment it's not enough to just say modern slavery because then that leaves room wiggle room for these editors to manipulate these titles and what have you so again I'm not bashing anyone I'm just offering a constructive suggestion on, on that Max right uh, yeah and I'm just you know, pointing out what I saw. I'm very critical right, about how right. things are expressed, and especially when it comes to mainstream corporate media. But on, 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 on I'm sorry, Max, on the glass half full, 
Do you know how long? Yes, you know how long because you've been doing it too. Do you know how long we've been trying to get the ACLU to even acknowledge the existence of the 13th Amendment? So that's a glass half full that they even put out something mentioning it. Yeah, I agree. And I look at it the same way that this shows that we're even getting through to the hardcore deniers who should have been the first in line to talk about this. So, yeah, that is the glass half full. Uh, There are a lot of other stories I wanted to cover tonight. We won't be able to do it. So next week we will cover them. In addition to all the articles that came out, there was other things I wanted to show how the roots of all this uh, began and where it's coming from. Articles like corporations and governments collude in prison slavery racket. Yes, that's the title, and we'll go into that next week. This week I have uh, something special. Uh, So, Scotty, what I want to do is let you do the rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad for this week, and I asked Sharon Smith if she would read some of the words, a short uh, quote, from our abolitionist in profile today, Uh, and she said yes, so that'll be uh, the closing of our program. Okay. All right, Scotty? That's that's fine with me. Shout out to Sharon. Um, (laughs) Candidate, I'll go ahead. You want me to start? Scotty, just be just before that, I do want to mention next week's program. We will be talking about this, but we also have a special guest coming in. I put out a request for any prison abolitionists who are well-versed in the topic to come onto the program and discuss this so we can try to get on the same page. And Brother Michael Vinson is coming in next week to do that with us. Thank you, Michael, for accepting the invitation. All right, so um, our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad uh, this comes to you from pridepublishinggroup.com. Candidate for State House Seat 54, Scott Davis, gets man ex- exonerated for murder he didn't yeah. commit. Okay, get, let me go ahead and mute those guys for a second. Okay, so um, let me get back to the article. This comes to you from pridepublishinggroup.com. Amy Crosby Jr. was in jail facing a charge for facilitating a murder he didn't commit. After two years, Crosby has been released thanks to the efforts of Scott Davis. In the early morning of August the 23rd, 2012, Keith Gaston was shot and killed in the Old Hard Times bar on Dickinson Road. Arnie Crosby Jr., who was at the club drinking that morning, was arrested for the murder. I was at a club that used to be on Dickinson Road, said Cosby. I was sitting down at the bar, drinking, socializing, and all of a sudden the shooting went on at the dance floor. The shooting suspect was described as 5'4 to 5'6, a bald black male. Cosby is bald but much taller than the suspect. According to Cosby, when they arrested me, I said, how y'all pick me? I'm 6'3, they said. They said... Your background caught up with you. Wow. Late, so that means we about to frame something on you because you got that background of, of prior convictions or run-ins. So we just going to pin it on you We and save us some work. All right. Later, after the actual shooter, Philip Morton, was found, the prosecutor decided to charge him for facilitating the murder, despite the fact that both Cosby and the shooter admitted that they did not know each other. See, again, the, the language, the duly, this is what duly convicted looks like, okay? Not justly convicted, not rightly convicted. This is what duly convicted looks like, all right? 
From my understanding, they didn't know if it was him or me, said Cosby. But if me and him stand right beside each other, we don't look alike, and I'm way taller than him. I guess they was trying to make like we was partners. The man that got killed, I don't know him. The man who did the killing, I don't know him. They didn't want to hear hear that. Cosby was later indicted on, now I never heard this charge in my life, facilitating a murder. I've heard accessory to murder, or, or I've never heard facilitating the murder. During the trial, prosecutors presented video footage of Cosby and Morton talking. The footage was doctored, showing only snippets of time, not the entire event. According to the reports, the footage showed Cross Cosby talking to Morton hours before the murder. They said, I talked to him, said Cosby. I did talk to him. But for two or three seconds, Cosby said Morton asked him to buy him a beer because he was short on money, but Cosby declined. I tell him, I ain't buying no stranger no beer. I don't know you. What That was the end of our conversation. According to Cosby, the doctor footage made it appear as if he had been talking with Morton for 20 to 30 minutes. Wow, man. Cosby was lucky to be a resident of the council district under Scott Davis's leadership. I know Cosby and I realized that I hadn't seen him in a while, said Davis. I was looking for him when his family told me about his situation. They told me about the footage from the shooting and how it had been cut in snippets to make it look like, to make Crosby look guilty. I didn't make it didn't make sense to me. If you look at the whole footage, it's obvious that Cosby is innocent. The family didn't have money to pay for a new attorney. So again, we covered this incompetent uh, attorneys and what have you. So Davis helped them get a different court appointed attorney and convinced a judge to look at the entire footage from the incident. I felt like we could spare three hours of our time to save an innocent man's life, said Davis. I go in front of judges. I go in front of judges in the court to ask for mercy and help my constituents all the time. After the footage was watched in its entirety, Cosby was exonerated and released. And I'm gonna leave it there since time is short. But we want we want to uh, welcome what's his name again, uh, Arnie Cosby Jr. To freedom. Welcome to freedom, bro. Welcome to freedom, brother. Indeed. All right. Well, our abolitionist in profile tonight is Lucy Stanton Sessions, 1831 to 1910. She was an educator and an abolitionist. Lucy Sessions is believed to be the very first African-American woman to graduate from college, completing a ladies' literary course from Oberlin College in 1850. She was also an accomplished writer and speaker. And tonight, my sister Sharon Smith uh, will read a quote from one of her writings called A Plea for the Oppressed by Lucy Stanton, 1850. Sharon? Thinking we might have to unmute her. Uh, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now, Sharon. Okay, so Ruth Stanton, 1850. When I forget you, O oh my people, may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth and may my right hand forget her cunning. Dark hover the clouds. The anti-slavery pulse beats faintly. The right, the right of suffrage is denied. The colored man is still crushed by the weight of oppression. 
He may possess talents of the highest order, yet for him is no path of fame or distinction opened. He can never hope to attain those privileges while his brethren remain enslaved. Since, therefore, the freedom of the slave and the gaining of our rights, social and political, are inseparably connected, let all the friends of humanity plead for those who may not plead their own case. Reformers, ye who have labored long to convince man that happiness is found alone in doing good to others, that humanity is a unit, that he who injures one individual wrongs the race, that to love one's neighbor as oneself is the sum of human virtue, ye that advocate that great principles of temperance, peace, and moral reform, will you not raise your voice? Whoops. <laughs> ah, hang on a second. Will you not raise your voice? In beha- on behalf of these stricken ones, will you not plead the cause of the slave? Slavery is the combination of all crimes. It is war. Oh, I'm sorry. I was talking and I uh, had myself muted. I was, <laughs> about, to, I was about to unmute you. <laughs> yeah, my apologies. Well, what I said is I just want people to understand what they just heard is uh, Quaker abolitionist Sharon Smith read a excerpt from the writings of Lucy Stanton, our abolitionist in profile tonight. Thank you, Sharon. Appreciate you so much. Thank you, You're Sister welcome. Sharon. Thank you. Indeed. It's been a powerful program tonight, and it's going to be very powerful next week. Uh, count on it. We are making some serious moves now and trying to get on the same page. Scotty, any final comments for the evening? Uh, yes, I just want to express my solidarity with all the victims of slavery, and specifically tonight with those who are participating in this strike, whether you're uh, doing a work strike, whether you're doing a sit a sit-in or you are boycotting the commissary and the other financial uh, ways that they extort money from you. So I just want to express my solidarity with you. Um, the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery, and we won't stop until that becomes the law of the land that slavery in its entirety has been abolished. We want to remove the 13th Amendment exception clause there's no reason, no reason that in the 21st century, any so-called civilized nation should have in their constitution an exception clause for slavery. And that goes for the states as well. But thank you all to our callers who called in Swift Justice, uh, Scott Buehrer. Remember, he's running for uh, uh, the uh, Alabama State House. District 33 in Alabama. Thank Otis and Tag for their contributions and, of course, Sister Sharon. I echo all of uh, those sentiments, Scotty Reed, and to save time, I will just say you just spoke to me too, brother. Um, I would like to say this and keep it real simple. I'm going to take an example from Colorado and what they did. 
ask yourself a question if this is the first time you've ever really heard this or considered this argument. The question is, is the U.S. government practicing slavery through the exception clause of the 13th Amendment? Yes or no? It's just that simple. And remember this, abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise up, rise up, rise up. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time. Rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared if his protection is gone and your enemies are near if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake break and fall if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all rise up no matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep